Welcome to the Ag Econ Podcast. Today, we're taking a look behind the scenes of the Farmer Forecast e-news service with climate analyst John Welsh and economist Janine Powell. John and Janine are both farmers, but they not only produce our food and fibre, they also run Ag Econ and produce the Farmer Forecast e-newsletter every week emailing their latest weather and climate insights right across the country. Like everyone in the ag game, the weather can make or break their livelihoods. So the Ag Econ team aims to use their skills to better understand climatic influences. It was John's life as a drought-stricken grazier, spending endless hours in dusty paddocks feeding stock, that inspired him to turn to science. He was done with relying on bogon moth sightings and simply crossing his fingers hoping for rain. There had to be a better way. And John's early climate inquiries would even catch the eye of Japanese media, who travelled all the way out to his family's property near Kula to interview John about the research he was using to manage drought, in particular the impact of the Indian Ocean on the Australian climate. In fact, you can check out a photo of John's media appearance on the Ag Econ website, and you might also notice his striking footwear, a pair of Crocs. Fast forward more than a decade, and John is now the go-to weatherman for many primary producers. His multi-talented Ag Econ partner, Janine, runs a mixed cropping farming business with her family in northwest New South Wales. Janine's a fourth-generation farmer and an agricultural economist. Needless to say, she's just as capable in the paddock as she is in the office. Janine's superhuman ability to analyse complex information that would bamboozle the best of us and then explain it in a way we can understand is invaluable to the farmer forecast audience. Late last year, John and Janine sat down to discuss and explain why they created this e-news service. I think some of our listeners would be very interested to know, John, how you got from Farmer John at Cooler in his Crocs. No, just joking. You weren't meant to say that. I didn't crop it. <laughs> to author of Farmer Forecast, disseminated across the east states of Australia. Yeah, my brief foray back into coming home to the farm in the 90s and continually striking droughts, once in a generation droughts occurring every three to four or five years. Um, and feeding livestock, wearing myself out and um, getting quite sick of droughts in general and looking for some answers. And those answers didn't always come in the form of, you know, a bureau seasonal outlook. There must be more to it. What, what I was seeing was dramatic shifts in livestock and grain markets, which were completely contingent on, on the weather. So seeing grain go from, you know, $110 a tonne in a really wet year to going north of three hundred dollars, you know, in the space of six months, uh, on the back of you know what weather we were experiencing at the time or climate, and similarly with livestock prices, you know, going from unprocurable to expensive to buy to to cattle being dirt cheap in sale yards, you know, all across the all across the state and across the country. So um, there had to be more to it, and running a cattle feedlot as a as a primary enterprise. Uh, your input costs, whether that be cattle and grain, certainly do determine to a large extent, you know, your profit and getting reward for the work you put in. So, but in 2006, I think that was the fourth drought we'd had in, in 12 years, um, picked up the phone after being completely 
mentally and physically fatigued after shoveling cotton seed and feeding stock, uh, looked for some answers and, and did ring a climate uh, researcher at the at CSIRO in Tasmania. He then mentioned, you know, you should ring this guy in in Japan. There's doing some really novel, neat research on on the Indian Ocean and how it affects the Australian climate and climate in general uh, in a number of countries. Um, try and reach out and contact them and. Putting the phone down afterwards, I was given some hope, dialed in the country code for Japan and uh, lo and behold, the researcher on the other end of the phone spoke English, which was a, sh- a shock, and they gave me some airtime, even though I was unknown to them and uh, was, was a farmer uh, looking for answers about the climate. So what they did was, was assist. They requested I file some rainfall data for them to do some analysis on it and help me through the processes that affected us. And certainly the Indian Ocean Dipole had a large bearing on, on our climate, which, and then the education process began. But, but yeah, this is almost a full circle moment now to be you know, looking at this analysis that we're doing for Farmer Forecast and to be trying to help people through the exact barriers and the frustrations um, that can really alter your your mental and physical health in dealing with climatic variations and how you manage your business to, to adjust for um, for these extreme events. Well, that intrigue quickly turned into an interest and then a passion, which has brought you all the way through to Farmer Forecast. And you're doing some more climate research and learnings? Yeah, so certainly um, to be in this space, Certainly I need to keep refreshing and building on my understanding of, of not only climate processes, which I'm more familiar with, but, but weather processes as well, uh, different you know, synoptic situations, different fronts, warm troughs, heat troughs, cooler weather and why these things occur and high winds and, and interpreting charts and all of those sort of things. Uh, so I've taken on a course with the University of Reading in the UK doing an online course to, to try and strengthen some areas, which, which complements um, quite nicely understanding of the climate as well which which is where the real interest came from those climate on the longer time scales rather than simply a weather event which is going to occur over a few days let's have a look at the farmer forecast now where you are implementing all these skills and this passion that you've had for such a long time now we've had quite a bit of interest from our traditional irrigator audience but the information has really also been applied and is of use for the broader farming and grazing enterprises as well. Yes, absolutely, Janine. I, I, I think it would be, um, be unfortunate if, because we've been extending largely climate information to irrigator audiences, that uh, for some reason livestock enterprises or grain growers thought, uh, you know, this didn't apply to them. Absolutely it does. I guess it's more about where, where you are in the curve in terms of your climate literacy levels because much of the Eastern Australian climate is driven by very similar and interrelated processes on a large scale. So what I mean by that is you can have really wet or really dry across very big areas. You know, it is applicable to what's happening, say, in the Border Rivers region, to what's happening in the Macquarie. Quite a few of those uh, locations are interrelated and interdependent so the big picture drivers once they're put in context can certainly add for confidence for actioning a decision and help a farmer no matter what they're doing I think. Mm, Absolutely 
Because you've been extending the climate risk and science that sits behind forecast to the cotton audience for quite a few years, some of the detail might appear daunting now if there's some subscribers not used to it. How have you addressed what could be this fairly substantial knowledge gap? The knowledge gap is the hardest part and the biggest barrier to understanding this information. So obviously webinars and and face-to-face, well, face-to-face is my preferred method of absorbing new and and complex information. But, you know, look, Australia's a a big country and and it's difficult to have face-to-face activities and people are generally short of time and often have to rely on delivering info online or via web pages. And that's why we've made such a concerted effort to cherry pick, you know, the, the best and most easily digestible websites in some cases, cartoon animations and explanations of, of what drivers do and the times of year in regions under their influence. I think this is the hardest step and getting up to speed and not being too intimidated by all the acronyms and terms of floating around in the commentary, we are really careful to pull out points and explain them in a summary sentence, as it's a challenge to cater for those who are really familiar with climate and those looking for detail versus those people who admit they're really novices, you know, scratching their head at uh, some of the things that they read. Well, I guess both of us as farmers, what we've really tried hard to do is to make sure that there is a lot of information there to show that it's there's more about climate processes than just looking at the colour-coded forecast maps and going away and then planting a crop based on this one particular map. Would you say that's what we've tried to do, to kind of show the complexity of climate? Again, this is another pretty much a full circle moment, Janine. Um, the general failure of forecasting uh, with the highs and lows of colour charts is pretty much how we ended up getting to the stage where we have an actual method to assess information relating to climate risk. So after the horrific dry November we've had and you know what was predicted is certainly a reminder that we can't simply trust the black box to guide us through the maze. This e-new service that we've developed uses a recipe put together, tried and tested from experience and, you know, we're trying to use the best information, not just the, from the Bureau here, but elsewhere in the world, and listening to other global experts and can help add context to a decision or to interpret information. So model outputs are only one piece of the risk assessment, and we interpret expert commentary and all the many tailored research articles that clarify the role of remote drivers influencing both, you know, rainfall and temperatures. So... Education can help empower the reader towards an outcome that fits local historical events and a connection that may lead to the likely consequences of an action one way or the other. Another key area that we thought was very valuable in this e-news service was analysing decision support. So apps and other embedded technology that can uh, that can help decision making. So Janine, decision support's an area you have a natural affinity with, sorting through technology and what's useful that can certainly help people become better engaged in climate and decision making. So can you explain the app and decision support reviews that you undertake? Well, I guess it stems from there is just so much information out there, so many different websites, so many different apps, and people just generally don't have time to look through them and see what's worthwhile. 
it is a section we've made more a more regular piece of our e-news and yeah the great graphics underpinned with good science can make looking at the weather and changes in forecasts a bit of fun the decision support and climate actually has been really interesting so far i've really enjoyed trawling through uh, different apps i mean i've found that there are many duplicates of one thing that have been rebadged and say the radar for example um, some of them you've got to pay for for the exact same thing that you can get for free elsewhere uh, hopefully it's we can really add some value for the weather and climate enthusiasts that are following our e-news uh, apps with radar displays actually has been a, quite an interesting exercise because I'm still a little unsure how some of these radars uh, can work without a physical radar tower. I'm suspecting they're all using bomb data, just displaying it in different ways. But understanding the source of the technology behind the app is something that is rarely disclosed and often hard to come by even when probed. So it's something that may portray how accurate the modelling is or the value of the app. I have the added benefit of road testing many apps on my eldest son and husband and I get a pretty quick response on how useful or easy to use they are. You've been brought up on a farm in the West. You've been in the West pretty much your whole life and now you're on a farm again. You've had a career in research, in cotton commodity trading, what is it that you find intriguing or fascinating or what attracted you to the, the climate and weather space where we are now? Look, I've certainly enjoyed learning a lot about the underlying drivers. I guess I was always of the opinion that it's incredibly complex. It's not an exact science. Just because the graph says it's going to rain in next month doesn't mean it's going to. Uh, so I've yeah, really just enjoyed getting to uh, learn and understand a little bit more behind those and I'm really interested in some of the algorithms that the supercomputers do use and how those algorithms might differ to allow them to give different outputs considering they would all be using the same inputs. So how do you think your background in economics, um, dealing with uncertainty, because that's essentially part of the role of an economist is to to quantify uncertainty and, and to, to action something with incomplete information. Do you think that's helped at all you know, dealing with weather which and climate, which is inherently uncertain and unreliable? Yeah, well, uncertainty creates risk, I guess. That's probably why I'm trying to think of the climate as an algorithm. But, yeah, being able to put into place plans on farm and take into consideration risk is probably just the way my brain works, I guess. So just application of the science, you know, in your own personal and, and family situation certainly is a, a useful um, add-on as well to what you do? Absolutely. Well, it's the climate has got to be a consideration for any short, medium and even long-term planning on a farm and I guess living it all the time, constantly making decisions and the climate is always there as an overlay in most of the decisions we're making. So having that extra knowledge is absolutely helpful. I guess the climate is such a big part of farming in Australia and 
most people don't really have the time to read through this, uh, all the different sources like we have been able doing to condense it in. So uh, hopefully that makes it yeah, useful for everybody. And it's the same with apps and websites and things like that. There's quite a bit of information out there. So do you want to explain a little how we choose what information is useful and what's relevant and worth relying on? Yes, absolutely, Janine. Sorting through information and myth-busting is actually a big part of what we do. As the subject of climate is an area where those with a big opinion and basic messages and a loud voice can certainly gain a following quite easily in the modern day with uh, social media in particular. So history has shown that this is fine until someone does a fact check or time goes on and they become unstuck with, uh, with a forecast that doesn't work and go into hiding or end up in litigation or all of those nasty things. But we don't want to be put into that category, which is why we have to continue to, to read widely, uh, not just keep on top of new tools and websites, but stay in touch with research outputs, model performance from global research agencies and universities. So to my knowledge, we're the only farming-based e-news that keeps an eye on climate research findings as they are published. Mm. It is such a complex space and with the research side of things, it's hopefully useful for anyone coming to our e-news in terms of value. Perhaps we, you could give some example on what some of the latest research is that might help with farm management decisions. Yeah, research, I guess, can be interpreted as something that's you know, full of really complex charts and complex messaging that you need a PhD to understand. Well, that's not the case. Um, we try and focus on research that is more applied, that will help farmers, and that's part of the value that we think we can add by, you know, only promoting the uh, and, and extending the research that's that's relevant to farming communities and farming operations. So some pretty in- interesting research has come out of the ANU recently analysing Australian rainfall events and their intensity and duration. And most farming folk are pretty good students of rainfall and can easily occupy uh, anecdotal evidence of what's changed and when. So what did the study find out generally on rainfall patterns? The duration of longer, sort of four to six day rainfall events is becoming less frequent through time, uh, events, rainfall events are moving through in one to two days uh, instead of that four to six day duration. And when they do arrive, they're arriving with more intensity. So dropping more rain in shorter time frames, uh, which has implications for runoff and evaporation. Those farmers in the no-till game can certainly testify with trying to capture runoff. Uh, it's becoming more of a challenge and crop residue is so important to mitigate runoff and uh, to enhance infiltration. So having said that, the longer rain events the the study found are increasing in areas such as the Gulf or Atherton Tablelands areas, uh, away from the dreaded high-pressure systems that keep us dry here in the Namoi. Well, as a farmer in the Namoi, I do find that a little concerning, that finding. Well, we certainly have some accountability by living in the regional areas, and I guess we're, we're proud of it, that we all have farming interests. What is it, John, that you enjoy about this sort of analysis and being in a regional area that makes it so interesting? Yes, that's that's true. Certainly I am proud of and uh, and we all are of, of being able to 
synthesise and analyse this information from all, all sections of the globe um, and try and relate it back to farmer decision making. Um, these mid-latitudes where we are based here in the Lower Namoi Valley is quite a, a complex climate to understand. Uh, we have many different drivers all intersecting, each in a diluted form, sometimes all at once. Uh, it's very fulfilling when all the details can be assessed and when you leave a room and those in it can go away and action some sort of a plan rather than guessing. So my feeling is that by being based out here and being subject to honest and reliable feedback uh, is certainly a critical part of what we offer and definitely shapes our care and attention to detail. There certainly needs to be a degree of care and consideration with communicating risk and we strive to do that really well. Uh, We always review how we write and how we frame climatic situations The fact that we can engage global experts on climate from our regional offices, that's a real thrill. And those conversations, not just with climate scientists, but also growers, always uncovers a little gem that that can be useful to understand, you know, something previously unknown about our climate or how to manage climate. So having a network among the four of us always helps refine what's valuable and what may be worth pursuing in more detail. Uh, We also stay in close contact with each farmer who willingly puts forward their stories to us and that offers another feedback loop as well as to how we present and communicate things. Yeah, well, we've quite enjoyed doing the farmer stories, haven't we? They've been great to get a little bit of understanding about how other people are looking at their climate and the tools and resources they use and really how different people are putting the climate into action. Every farmer seems to have a novel story on a gamble that's paid off or not and reflecting on it really can show why it worked or failed within the context of a cycle or some piece of information that was used to help the decision is kind of exactly where and how we want to influence. Sound, carefully considered decision making is what makes businesses more resilient Good science, a method to effectively deal with good quality information, it can certainly help minimise exposure to the downside. So for us, and our main message is the key is just to read more routinely than simply at planting or harvest times. And as I said before, it's just so complex. You can't just look at it for a month or so before a decision and then put it down and come back another six months. You kind of have to keep on top of it and just keep keep on reading and to read more about ag econ's research or to subscribe to the farmer forecast e-news service head over to www.agecon.com.au and thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed it